Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Lustek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to support this show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. First up, a bit of news. So there was an ad blockers performance study, and where this came about was because Google is updating their manifest document to version 3. And this is what extensions must follow to kind of leverage Chrome features. So an update that's buried deep within was that there's a requirement to switch from what was called web request to a declarative net request. And this was going to limit the amount of filters that could be put on network connections, which would effectively kill the functionality of these ad blockers. You know, as ad blockers are very popular, this understandably was a huge concern to these developers and to the wider community. So this was pretty unpopular. And initially what was being said is that the ad blockers have such a performance hit that these changes are necessary. But a study of the ad blockers have shown that they only impact in the sub-millisecond range on average, and that the savings they also provide by blocking all this expensive JavaScript more than outweighs any actual performance hit. So subsequently, after this study was published, Google backed away from those claims and said that there won't be a requirement to switch to the new declarative net request, and no limit was going to be applied to the web requests. You know, as there is a new ad blocker being built into Google Chrome, and this is coming at some point in the future, this was kind of seen as an attempt to favor their ad blocker over the wider ecosystem. So that's unsubstantiated, but that was the worry and concern. And with the backing off on the performance savings, it does seem a bit odd that it was so quickly moved away from. You know, time will tell, but for now, this is a win. And there could very well be legitimate reasons to you know, switch to a newer API style and to limit in certain ways. But for the use cases that ad blockers provided, they need the ability to have those unencumbered um, un, or unmetered limits. And so for now, this will be a good thing for the community. And hopefully Google will rethink their strategy going forward. So a little while back on December 4th, uh, HashiCorp uh, released a Vault 1.0. And so what this is, it's a pretty big release. It's a tool that's used to kind of manage secrets and credentials. You know, it has a server that it runs, which allow you to do uh, high availability and a web UI to manage your credentials and secrets. You can generate dynamic secrets, keep track of who is using what and more. Uh, so it, why I include this is because I think that the evolution and the um, maturity of these types of systems to really have good quality um, secret management is especially relevant in today's world where you really have to worry about breaches, about privacy, and how do you manage that. So keeping an eye on the ecosystem and what's available and out there, I think is very, very smart idea and allows you know us developers to really make sure that we're finding ways to manage all these secrets and passwords and things going around in a way that is manageable and auditable. 
So check it out. Uh, it's just one of many solutions, but a good one. So uh, pretty cool. And finally, for some news, uh, DigitalOcean uh, has released their first managed databases. So on Valentine's Day, uh, DigitalOcean opened up their first iteration of the managed database offering. And the first one is Postgres uh, SQL. Uh, and the nodes themselves start at about 15 bucks a node um, for, per month for a node, or $50 for a high availability node. You know, backups are included for free, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the appeal of this is the easy scalability, automatic failovers, full backups with write-ahead logs, and encrypted data at rest in transit. So for me, that last one has a big appeal as it makes it easy to configure all of that, and then it just scales up as you need it. Now, granted, for now, this is only for uh, Postgres SQL, but for me, you know, my personal workloads are mostly on WordPress, so I'm going to need my SQL at some point, but they've already stated that's coming later this year. And as the product is proven out, uh, then we'll see where it goes. But even just having a managed database that is, you know, optimized for performance, that uh, works well, and then I can scale out as need. You know, even though it's a little pricey for what I want right now, uh, there's still a big appeal to it. So it might, you know, offset uh, by having to lower the requirements of the web servers I run, because now I don't have to worry about the um, point it all on the same box, and I can it'll just focus on its one thing and do it well. Uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. I I think there could be a lot of value in this kind of thing. So a few links and resources. So one I found a little bit ago is called Spectrum. And it's a community platform that's run off of uh, GraphQL. And if you don't know GraphQL, it's basically a um, alternative to REST APIs. It's a way to query uh, data via an API method, uh, but just to return the data that you need as you need it rather than uh, predefined uh, values or uh, calls that you can do that returned a set you know amount of data but spectrum's built off of that and it kind of provides a mashup between slack and traditional forum tools and it's a pretty interesting way to present threads and information and although there aren't too many communities on there yet uh, what i see is pretty useful and i like the direction it's going you know they have kind of these real-time uh, thread, you know, communications by you create kind of a topic and then that topic is discussed and it's almost in an inbox style approach. Uh, but it's pretty cool because it, it makes it easy to kind of segment each uh, conversation rather than that kind of slack stream of consciousness approach. And yeah, they do have their uh, threads, but it, it makes it so much easier to present in this information. So I think it's kind of a good in between. And since anyone can create either a public or a private community on there, it's pretty cool. Uh, so check it out and uh, see if you can find something to contribute to or create yourself. A while back, uh, there, there was an article from Cloudflare, uh, but I, I think I read it a while back and I didn't include it, but I, it really is pretty interesting to me. And so what it is, uh, it's about... HTTP2 prioritization with Nginx. And what's interesting about that is because 
HTTP2 has this ability to kind of prioritize uh, the calls that are coming across to it. And sometimes it doesn't get it right. And so this is a really well done article about how to properly configure the server side um, to make sure that it's presenting the content in the way it should. Uh, so really check it out. I'm already trying to apply that to my servers and make sure that the content is being provided in the best way it possibly can. Uh, but it's really cool. And if you like kind of digging deep into those um, kind of geekier details, then uh, check it out. So there's a pretty cool JavaScript utility called TypeIt, and it allows you to display typing effects, kind of like where you can show the text being typed on screen as it's being, um, as if it's being typed real time into the browser. It allows for this kind of scripted animations, uh, but it's really flexible. So I just thought it was a really cool utility. I mean, not every site obviously needs this kind of thing and you don't want too much of it, but for those stylized animations where you're looking for that type of effect, it's really cool. Uh, check it out. And finally, just a little utility uh, that was created. Basically, it's called uh, the JavaScript Array Explorer. And all it is is a uh, way to someone made that if you have a hard time remembering how to do specific things with arrays in JavaScript, it has the drop downs to kind of pick what you're looking to do and the example code to go along with it. And so it's just a super useful little tool because, you know, I don't work in JavaScript day in and day out uh, to any real degree. Uh, usually I, I just have need to decorate it on top of certain things. Um, it's one of the things I want to learn even better than I, you know, as usual, but I often forget these little things that I need to do with it. So very handy reference to have. Uh, and so links are in uh, the description down below. So finally, I want to talk about uh, managed services. And this really came about in my mind as I was looking at the DigitalOcean uh, managed services and kind of what would be the future for this type of thing and what the reasoning is and why we might want to use it and what you know, value this has for developers. So the idea really is for you know, not only these companies to expand their portfolio of what they're offering, but to really make it that much easier for anyone to just kind of throw up a service that they might need without having to worry about all the nitty gritty behind it. You know, for example, with the managed databases, I can't tell you how much time I've spent trying to optimize the databases for what I need uh, based on the memory or CPU requirements and balance with everything else, and then having to worry about the security of it, having to worry about, um, you know, as I said, the performance, uh, scalability, all those kind of things. So these managed services really are there to kind of ease the burden on developers and make it easier for people to just either test something out or, you know, if it's done well enough, uh, put a production service on it. You know, obviously this has all been around for a long time and different services do in different ways. Uh, AWS, uh, Azure, um, tons of services have these kind of things. Uh, Google, um, but it's becoming more and more common across all of these areas. And 
where I find it very interesting is we're getting to a point, and you can do this in certain uh, environments for sure, where you know this ties into that whole serverless concept, but it's really being able to quickly create what you want without having to worry about all of the other things that go along with it on the server side. Now, often this might mean you're paying for it. And depending on what you need, you may not get the specific performance or features that you would normally need in kind of a more customized application. So I think there is a balance and a trade-off there for the larger services. They might grow out of this pretty quick. You know, they might find that, oh, we really need this kind of specific feature turned on or the way that they're kind of generalizing the um, overall infrastructure to fit the greatest number of needs doesn't quite work for what we want. And in those cases, you know, this is a great starting point, but then you might move past it. And these are services such as, you know, S3 for data uh, or data storage, um, you know, the managed databases, for example. Um, there are a number of cases where you can just spin up uh, web servers, you know, Nginx or Apache or anything like that, um, and just put the files in a certain location. They're served up as you need it. Um, I mean, there's plenty of control panels out there that help, you know, abstract some of those configuration, but really the idea with this is you're just kind of plugging different pieces of the infrastructure together. You're saying that, hey, point to this IP for my managed database, um, and then serve up my files on this um, volume here that I've just attached to, you know, what I need. And, you know, DigitalOcean, as is many others, uh, they've just added Kubernetes onto there as well, which is a way to orchestrate VMs. And then on those VMs, Docker, for example, or other container technologies. And it's this whole idea where you just kind of plug it all together and you can see uh, more at a glance the entire ecosystem. And it's a lot easier to initially wire stuff up than having to necessarily install all the software, configure it all, and then troubleshoot from there. But as I was kind of saying earlier, depending on what you need, it may not be a great fit for you. But I do see this kind of being the future. You know, there's going to be a limited set of folks that you know, have the skills to really troubleshoot and dive in on this because it's going to become less common. Uh, but there's still going to be a huge need because what this does is unlock that potential for a ton of people who aren't as well versed in getting this up and running to just create what applications they want and then put it out to the world and be able to kind of scale up demand in there, you know, without having to worry about all that, you know, the, the minutia and the detail behind it. At a certain point, they might, you know, find that it's more cost-effective to do their own thing and really dive in there. But to begin with, this will really unlock, I think, that potential for folks. So check it out. Um, I'd be curious to see what folks think, where the industry is going, if this is a good, you know, move that way, or if there should be just better documentation and and um, more uh, clarity around how best to set up certain services. But I think that no matter what, we're going to see tons more of this kind of stuff and that it's really going to be a, a game changer in terms of how developers can get started and where folks that are less technical in nature can really bring their ideas to fruition. So I'm going to end there. 
Uh, but follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.